Celestials of Chinatown yesterday muttered strange oaths and shuffled with slippered feet through the dark and evil-smelling recesses of its myriad of passageways and watched with immutable stoicism while officers of the law swooped down with search warrants and sledges and jimmies and battered into wreckage massive doors of steel and iron and wood. Welcome to a special edition of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at ORHistory.com. We profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. We're featuring a special four-part saga on Portland's historic Chinatown. The gambling, the girls, and the opium. There's one a week, so check back often. Or click the subscribe button to get Kick-Ass Oregon History delivered through RSS straight to your device. And to top it all off, we're featuring our first podcast sponsor in this series. Today's podcast is brought to you by The Rialto. Historian and Gastronomicon, Doug Kank Crispin. When I'm in the mood for a cool beverage and a game of pool, I head down to the Rialto Pool Room and Cafe on the corner of 4th and Alder in downtown Portland. Portland's premier pool room also has eclectic drinks, happy hour deals, and a fantastic menu, including Portland's best Reuben. And with the new Jack London bar underneath the Rialto, live music, dancing, and even history presentations are in the mix. And you Oregon history geeks are going to love the old photographs displayed throughout the Rialto. So stop on in and enjoy a little Oregon history at the Rialto. It is fair to say that Portland was built upon the labor of the Chinese. In 1865, Portland had a total population of just over 6,000 people. A staggering one-third of these residents were Chinese. In the late 19th century, most of the Chinese immigrants to the West Coast came from Kwangtung in southern China. The ticket was expensive, so the poor Chinese immigrant would often deal with a labor trader who would front the fare, and the immigrant would pay back the loan with interest from earnings made in America. An early description of the Chinese by a pioneer in Jackson County in 1860 is enlightening in the demonstration of how truly odd these immigrants were perceived to be. The man said, when we were crossing the prairie, we met two men and stopped to talk with them. I could not imagine what nationality they were. They had a long braid of hair down their back and seemed to be dressed queerly. I asked them which way to Jacksonville. They said, Heap Sabe, Glaxonville, Glaxonville, three miles, no more. I told my wife they were the queerest Dutchmen I ever saw. She said she did not believe they were Dutch. Portland was a major destination for the Chinese, so large that in the 1890s, Portland had the second highest Chinese population on the West Coast. Only San Francisco was higher. The thought of the Chinese worker was generally not to emigrate. 
but to just come to America for several years, or even a decade or more, and make some money and eventually move back to China with a significant purse. Almost all of these voyagers were men, most without families. This imbalanced gender proportion has been called a major reason as to why so much gambling, opium use, and prostitution flourished in the Chinese district of Portland. What was the Chinese district? As Bart King explains in his guidebook of Portland architecture, the historic Chinatown that you see today in Portland is a bit of a misnomer. The Chinatown of old was actually south of the gates that we associate with the Sino neighborhood of today. Their district extended as far down as Washington and Alder Streets. King explains that the new Chinatown, in present Old Town, was occupied by the Chinese during World War II. This area had been an ethnically Japanese neighborhood, called Little Tokyo. But when those people were forced to internment camps, the Chinese moved into the empty businesses. Chinese men performed a wide array of labor, not only in Portland, but across the Pacific Northwest. Common manual jobs were the main pursuit by many of these workers, supporting businesses such as laundries, cooks in restaurants and private homes, shoe repairmen, movers and physical labor. Outside the city, many worked as miners, loggers, railroad builders, and cannery workers. As an example, in 1881, 4,000 Chinese were working in 35 canneries along the Columbia River. In Astoria, their community was located on two blocks on Bond Street. In 1889, Rudyard Kipling, on a tour of the Northwest, saw some Chinese canners at work on the Columbia and watched the, quote, blood-besmeared yellow devils, as he called them, cut and parcel the salmon. In fact, so essential were the Chinese to the salmon canning process that when a machine was developed to cut and gut fish, patented in 1905, it was named appropriately, or rather inappropriately, the Iron Chink. Like Kipling's description, descriptions of the Chinese printed in the Oregonian were appalling. The Yellow People and slant-eyed men and women are exact quotes of terms that were utilized. But a perusal of the period papers will also reveal some curious characterizations. Owl-eyed celestials and almond-eyed celestials were also applied with frequency. By far the most common name associated with Chinese was celestial, which was a sort of contemporary bastardization of the term empire ruled in accord with heaven, a rough translation of the terminology used by the Chinese empire to refer to their dynastic rule. This term, celestial, in regards to a laundryman, a laborer, or a lowly cook, though it may now evoke the tinkling chimes of a New Age bookstore, was a slur with racist undertones impregnated with irony and malice. The behavior of Portlanders towards the Chinese too often reflected the same attitudes propagated by the papers. Boys were reported to have sicked a dog on an unfortunate Chinese immigrant, and another was used to demonstrate the power of electricity. This incident drew quite a crowd, who greatly enjoyed watching the man being electrocuted. It appears that it was a common civic activity to throw rocks at Chinese passengers on steamers coming into Portland. 
As shocking as these occurrences seem to our present age, one may find equally unexpected the odd respect that was afforded the Chinese. A 1921 article proclaimed that they may sell opium and other drugs, gamble and make their living by intrigue, but their word has been accepted time and time again as worth so much gold in the bank. The educated Chinese say that the American gives a note with the intention of paying it when he is compelled to, but the Chinese gives his word with the intention of keeping it. To Westerners, Portland's Chinatown must have seemed mysterious indeed. Historian Doug Kent Crispin. The district was referred to as Portland's Yellow Streak and the Asiatic Quarter. A newspaper article almost poetically described it as the district that is so impregnated with vice and mystery and the romance of the Orient. It was truly a separate world within Portland, Oregon. Historian Chia Chi Ho describes storefront windows that displayed dried shark's fin, aged eggs, live geese and ducks, or if one preferred, preserved in oil, as well as a variety of fruits and confections. Pharmacies and drugstores made available dried reptiles and snakes, elkhorn, medicinal herbs, as well as ginseng, peppermint, and licorice. A 1905 guide of Chinatown examined culinary delights and noted that chop suey is a standard dish. It consists of sliced chicken, pork, imported water chestnuts, green onions, garlic and bamboo shoots, fried together and served with gravy. A feast menu would contain turtle and bird's nest soup, shark fins, quail, roast duck, preserved fruits, ginger, limes and melons, sliced lychee nuts, salted almonds, etc., etc. It is important to remember that the goal of the Chinese was rarely to assimilate into the dominant culture. There was little need to do so, as such a massive community seemed to exist independently within Portland, Oregon. One could eat Chinese food, attend one of several Chinese theaters, and purchase pharmaceutical herbs and tinctures familiar to those from the Orient. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. And for the lonely laborer, pockets flush with some cash after paying an installment on his fare from China, the lure of games of chance, a ball of opium, or the temporary comfort of a woman was always available in the City of Roses, as we shall hear as our Chinatown Special Edition continues next week. Thank you for listening, and be on the lookout for future podcasts by our crew. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast on Chinatown, Gambling, Girls, and Opium, was brought to you by the Rialto Pool Room Bar and Cafe, written by Doug Kane Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. You can check out our website at orhistory.com or follow us on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. And hey, coming up on July 19th, 2011, at 7.30 p.m., resident historian Doug Kank Crispin will be at the Jack London Bar underneath the Rialto Pool Room at 529 Southwest 4th. 
He'll be talking about Portland's historic Chinatown, now with extra MSG. Why don't you come down and join him? You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass.